Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Beth McDaniel. Beth McDaniel received her BBA in finance from the University of Texas in 1988 and a JD in law from South Texas College of Law in 1996. She has been with Reactive Services since 2006, both as a director, advisor, and officer of the company. Beth has 25 years of business experience and 17 years of legal experience with an emphasis on contracts, licensing, and business operations. Mrs. McDaniel serves as president and chief of administration for Reactive Surfaces, an innovation company in the paint and coatings industry. Beth, I am so excited to have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Thank you so much, Jared. I'm glad to be here. So why don't we dive right in? Tell me, what in your mind is innovation? Okay. Innovation is inspired creativity with an end to creating a product or a process or a service or something that's improved in some way. Mm, I like that. Now, you have a very interesting background in terms of your educational background, the different types of things you've done, running companies and all sorts of things. How has their definition of innovation come to life in some of the things you've done in your career? Yeah, well, I've done a lot of different things. By the time you're in your mid-50s, you kind of have had a full life, whether you wanted it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so there were some things that were more creatively inspiring than others. Mm -hmm. Being a part of an innovation company is, by definition, more creative and inspired. Our company does a lot of innovative things. Mm -hmm. The company that I've been involved in for the last two decades called Reactive Surfaces, that we're in the innovation business. Mm. So everything we do is new or a paradigm shift. And it's easy to say, yeah, that's innovation because no one's ever done it before. (laughs) Right, right. There's innovation in smaller ways. When I worked in real estate or when I was in law, there are smaller degrees of innovation. But when you're innovating a new product that no one's developed before, that's really clear innovation. Mm -hmm. If it makes things better, it has to make things better, in my opinion. Right, right. I love that you include that in your definition of innovation because it's easy to go down a track that is technologically new or scientifically new, but doesn't really add value in any sort of way. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm sure you've seen that in your experience. I have as well, you know, where Mm -hmm. people are trying to get patents, but not necessarily asking themselves, okay, well, that's great. I patented this molecule or I developed this new polymer or whatever, but what for? Why? Yeah, what good is it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So if we think about your definition of innovation, including kind of creativity in that is also an interesting concept. What does creativity look like in your field, in your arena? Well, okay, so we're in a paint innovation business. Right. And I'm sure your listeners will hear more about that. Mm -hmm. For instance, it might help just to give an example of what we deal with. Yeah. So we're in the paint and coatings industry. And the paint and coatings industry would probably define innovation in a way as, I mean, they've had some innovative things in their industry, but mostly what we've encountered is innovation means dropping the price by a couple pennies per can. Mm -hmm. And to me, there is innovation that might be innovation directed at 
dropping a cost of something. And that's good. But if all it is, is, you know, beating up your raw material suppliers, that's not innovation, even if it results in a lower price. Mm. And that's not creative, in my opinion, either. Right. Creativity means looking at the world as it is and changing one of those variables and saying, what if we change that? Mm. And then deriving a solution out of that formula with the changed variable. It sounds like the variables in your mind are things that are related to the customer's experience or the expectations, quality of the product, not necessarily just the price. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are innovative things that can be done that will reduce costs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not saying that per se, not innovation. Right. I'm just saying if all you did was fire some people, so your expenses went down, that's not innovation to me. Right. Right. Yeah. That's. Cost optimization mm -hmm. is what we used to call that in, yeah. in a previous life. I couldn't agree more. I think that makes a lot of sense. And particularly in an industry like paint, I would imagine it requires a bit more creativity, even in sort of thinking about what problems to solve next. I don't spend a lot of time in my day thinking about paint. Because the no thing, one does. Don't yeah, worry. right. It, well, you do. Except for us. That's why we don't have to think about it, right? So, so I think that creative part of your definition, I would imagine it comes into play on the front end as well when you're looking at, okay, well, what could we do to treat surfaces differently or solve a different problem with a surface coating? That's absolutely a really good insight. Creating expectations up front of what people should want to see. Hmm. A lot of times they're limited because they're just limited as to what's happened up until now. And so they don't have an expectation, for instance, of a coating system that will deodorize a room. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. Or a coating system that will self-clean itself. When we're developing something, we almost have to start by giving people the right to expect that. Not the right, but go ahead. Like, Dream big. Right. And we're going to try to fill in that space. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost pushing them to imagine a world where things operate differently. And I would imagine it could be tough to do that because all we know as consumers is what we know. Right. And all we've seen is what we've seen. And so bringing that creativity to the table, not only to identify, hey, here's a new benefit we could offer or a new problem we could solve for our customer, but then also engaging with them in a way that helps them think, oh, well, what if? And then would that be of value to me? Mm -hmm. And then they demand it. Yeah. We're a business to business company usually. So we are dealing with like paint companies and original equipment manufacturers. We're not usually dealing with an end customer, but we want that end customer to want these things that we can develop to demand it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To say, we have an expectation that our coatings are going to work for us and they're going to react to our environment in a certain way. And so that's what we're trying to fulfill. Mm. It kind of creates a bit of a triangle, right? If you're B2B, because it puts a third sort of party in that innovation equation, your customers, I guess, maybe I'll use the term customer for your, the B2B, the person, the, your actual customer and then consumer for the person who actually uses it. So how do you get your customer on board with providing a consumer benefit? Is that ever a challenge? Like these new creative things you come up with, getting the customer on board first, is that ever a challenge? Yeah. In fact, with carbon capture coatings, our newest platform technology that we'll talk about hopefully a little bit later, mm -hmm. 
that's definitely been a challenge. And so what we've done to meet that challenge, to communicate to the end user, hey, this is a possibility. You should be demanding this of these huge companies, the Sherwin-Williams and the ExoNobles and the PPGs, who might look at it and say, nah, nah, climate change, we're not really that worried about it. They need to hear from their consumers, we are. Right. And if there's a solution in the paint and coatings industry, we want you on that. Mm-hmm. Because we're not a paint manufacturer. You'll find that out later when we talk, but we are an innovation shop. Right. That's why we deal with paint manufacturers. So a lot of times what they do is they come to us and say, hey, we want a paint that does this, that, and this, and we want it in this coating system. And then we develop that. So it's kind of, we're just working for them to develop something that they need. But sometimes we're just developing something because we see an urgent need for it, carbon capture coatings, and that's not being met And we can achieve inspired innovation, hopefully, people would call it that, in that area. And we want the end user to know that's an available technology. So what we've done, and I don't have all the answers for you because we're still in the midst of doing that. And it has been a challenge in the past to get that demand level Mm -hmm. um, from the consumer to demand it from their big corporations and stuff in that field. Right. And we publish a lot. Okay. We also have a IP law firm within our company. Mm. And so we protect our innovation very well. So we publish a lot in industry journals and we have patents and trade secrets and all that stuff. But we generally, we published in industry journals because that's who we're looking to do business to business. With carbon capture coatings, we're trying to go mainstream. Mm. And that's why I'm doing some of these podcasts. And we just actually were published There was an article published last week in USA Today about this technology. So we're trying to get to mainstream individuals so that they can know, hey, there's this thing out here. You can support it in your own way. It's not being manufactured. You can't buy it yet. What you need to do is kind of demand that these things are done in different ways. There are different ways of doing that. Wow. Yeah. It's almost kind of like a grassroots campaign, you know, right? Your local congressman kind of thing. But, I've done a lot of those too. <laughs> but yeah, in a very different context. But whenever these things are sort of benefit focused and benefit driven for the sake of society, it's really how do you activate or surface the existing energy around this to your customer, to the Sherwin Williams and PPGs of the world to say, hey, look, this is a thing people are interested in once they become aware that it's a possibility. I don't know what carbon capture coding is, but I did not know it existed and I'm excited to learn what it is and how it works. And so I think once people are aware of it, the sort of pull for the benefit, I would imagine would change dramatically. Well, yeah. And also they can help us with this obstacle. Exactly. Because here's the biggest obstacle we face in dealing with an existential issue like climate change is the typical corporate response to innovation They're out there advertising and marketing a lot that, oh, we're always looking for the greatest, the newest thing and everything. But really the typical response from an innovator, speaking to this, that's been in the innovation for 20 years, is what's the ROI, Mm -hmm. the return on investment. Mm -hmm. How soon and how much? Yeah. And I'm willing to talk about that. There's a very good ROI with this technology, Mm -hmm. but it does set you back on your heels a little bit, you know, when you're talking about the existence of humanity and not just saving the earth. That's right. Okay. We're not just saving the earth. We're talking about humanity. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about that and they're like, well, yeah, 
but how much money are we going to be making? <laughs> and it's a lot. They would make a lot yeah. on this, okay? Yeah. But that's what right. we have to convince them of rather than, hey, this is a good solution in this space. And that's where I think consumers, the real people that aren't corporations mm. are going to come in and demand it because they want to see real solutions. Right. And we do actually, just anecdotally, we did get hit and it was with one of the biggest computer companies in the world. If you had to guess, you would probably guess it. <laughs> we were talking to their chief sustainability officer about this technology. And his only question to us was the ROI. And like I said, we have an answer for that and it's good. Okay. Right. Right. And then he was like, well, we're doing our own thing. And then that was the last time we ever spoke. Mm. But we did decide that within our technology. So we're, we're planning on scaling up to a very, to the gigaton level, which is the billion ton CO2 capture level, which is a very high scale of it. Yeah, yeah. But we decided that when we are scaling up and when we have this in place, that there will be a fund that we have that will take care of people who are suffering from climate change that aren't otherwise being taken care of in certain parts of the world or who are being damaged disproportionately because they didn't even contribute most to this. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're going to suffer more than a lot of people. And that's a proven thing. Mm -hmm. There's different parts of the world that are going to suffer and they have not contributed even nearly as much as the people who are not going to suffer as much. Right. And so we want to make sure those people are accounted for, that they're cared for. And so we're going to set up a fund for every ton that we pull down of CO2 that a certain amount will go into a fund. And you know the name of that fund? What? The ROI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. There's that's your great. friggin' it's ROI. Okay? I love it. That, yes. <laughs> so that's Largest computer company in the world. <laughs> that's the literal answer. That is a great, that's brilliant. Yeah. What's the ROI? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. It's a fun that we said. That's so, that's, so mm -hmm. that's clever. I like that a lot. And it really puts it back into the human perspective very quickly. It just reframes it instantly which I think is important, obviously. But I want to go back to one thing you mentioned sort of offhandedly that I think is really critical to what you do and not common, and that's having an IP firm inside your company. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a bit about what led you to do that and what benefit it might create for you as a company? Yeah, so my husband is a trained patent attorney, and I am an attorney as well. Hmm. And so actually when we met, I was doing land development and real estate law and not at all involved in his area of law and biochemistry. And then we joined forces. He got me into his firm. So I came in and in that firm, I'm more of the, not corporate, I don't do corporate work, but I do more of the contract work. Mm -hmm. So all of the deals and stuff that we make, that falls on my plate. That makes sense. Like I can read contracts and negotiate them and all that. I bet. The business part of things. Mm -hmm. But he is an IP attorney. And so we have, from the very start, anything that we innovate, and I'm talking about like even in the expectation of innovation, we have a mindset towards protecting that innovation in the best way. Right. Patents, not always the best way. Okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine when you're thinking of the, and you probably know this because you're in the innovation world, but imagine for your listeners at the U.S. Patent Agency is, imagine a little old lady who is sitting at her desk with a bunch of paperwork and that's the patent office. 
I mean, it literally is <laughs> so slow. <laughs> and, and she's working her, you know, as hard as she can. So we have patent applications that have been in existence in their office for years. Yeah. Yeah. They'll keep it going by responding with some sort of office action. And then we have to come back and respond to that. But an application only lasts for 20 years, I think. And so if you're in their office for 10 years, you're not getting necessarily that much protection. And sometimes it's better to hold it as a trade secret. Mm-hmm. And there are ways of doing that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ways of doing both a patent and a trade secret. And so we just innovate a lot in that space as well. Right. In the IP protection space. But it's always at the forefront of our thinking is how are we protecting this in the best way possible? Right. I love that you disaggregated protecting from patenting. Yeah. Because I think in a lot of people's minds, those things are synonymous when it comes to inventions and technology and things like that. Oh, I need to protect this means, oh, I have to get a patent. Not always the best way because getting a patent means you're going to expose your whole process publicly. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, there are certain ways to get around that, and I'm not the specialist in patent law, but there are ways to get around divulging everything. But a lot of times you just want to divulge enough to get your patent and then hold the secret sauce. There's a story of the guy who spits in the beer before it, and that's how their beer is so great, and they don't know it because it has certain enzymes in his spit, but that wasn't included in the patent. Right. And so no one could copy it. Right. And so, you know, this one little spit in the beer vat changed everything. And it's a true story. Patent lore. I love it. But yeah, you keep the spit out of the patent, Yeah, maybe, and then they can't figure that out. And the paint industry is kind of like Coca-Cola. I mean, they hold their secrets very closely. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to reverse engineer a paint. And so in the paint industry, you definitely want to have a crossover of patents and other types of protection. Right. Having it in-house, I would imagine, is a competitive advantage for you because it's more of a seamless conversation and it's engaged and involved from day one. Mm -hmm. Thinking about how you would protect it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Just like we bring in our sales team, we bring in our IP team. And when we're innovating, all of those things are taken into consideration from the very beginning. That's brilliant. Brilliant. It would have saved me a lot of hard-earned life experience (laughs) if other companies were organized that way. That's really great. Tell me more about this technology. I'm fascinated and eager to learn more about it. Yeah. So it might help to just talk about what we do at Reactive Surfaces. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Generally, because people don't have a context for paint and coatings. First of all, it's the biggest industry no one's ever thought about, is what I say. It's a huge Hundreds of billions of dollars are spent on paint and coatings every year. Well, first of all, I'll use paints and coatings kind of synonymously, interchangeably, but the only difference really is a paint has color and also protects surfaces. The coating is just a paint without color, okay? Ah, okay. And so historically, coatings have been used in every man-made product. There's a coating that's there to protect it in some way at some point in the manufacturing process. So you don't really think about it, but if you look around, or if any of your listeners, just look around your room. It's not just on the walls. It's on the floors. It's on your computer screen. It's on your clothing. It's on those glasses you're wearing. It's on those paintings behind you, on those ceiling tiles. Everything has a coating on it. So it's a prolific thing. Hmm. And to us in the paint industry, the fact that everything has a coating on it, that's surface area. And surface area is our business. Now, what we've done at Reactive Surfaces 
there is a third quality to paints and coatings. We didn't invent it, and that's called functional or smart coatings. Those are coatings that respond to your environment in some way or another. And that's the space that we lie in is we're trying to functionalize coatings. Hmm. The difference in our company versus Sherwin-Williams that has an antimicrobial technology, we've got antimicrobial too, but what ours is, is everything that we use is naturally occurring and naturally non-toxic. Mm. Everything in the company or in just one specific line? All of our technologies. Wow. All of our technologies utilize naturally occurring non-toxic and we create these platform technologies. So again, we're not manufacturing paint. Mm-hmm. We can manufacture to the extent that we need it in the lab. But what we're doing is we're creating a technology platform in each case that different industries might feed off of. So let's say we have an antimicrobial technology, and we do. Right. And it's a peptide-based technology. Peptides are all around you, okay? You're living with peptides, billions of them all over your body. So they are naturally occurring and they are non-toxic and they have a functionality in nature. And that's not our science. Okay. What we do is we harness that functionality, put that into a coding system and ask it to do what it does in nature, but in the coding system. Mm. So we use peptides that are naturally antimicrobial that break down different kinds of bacteria, algae, mold, even viruses, encapsulated viruses, like we found out with COVID then it will continue and it will continue doing that on a surface. Like as long as the paint is there, those peptides will keep on working. And that's what our innovation is, okay, is we know how to make a peptide continue being a peptide and doing its functionality in the coding system as long as that coding system is there. I see. I see. Uh-huh. And so usually what we've done is we've used biomolecules, things like enzymes and peptides to achieve that kind of functionality. Mm. In the case of carbon capture coatings, we added an organism, not a biomolecule. So the organism is a single cell bacteria or an algae, blue-green oh, algae wow. that you find in the, in the ocean. Yeah. And what that does and the functionality that we were trying to derive from that is photosynthesis. Because we all know back from eighth grade biology that what algae do in the environment or other living things is they capture carbon dioxide during photosynthesis and with the help of sunlight and water, and then they release oxygen and they produce glucose for the organism to survive. Mm -hmm. And so what we said is let's harness that functionality and put that into a paint, which we didn't know if we could do a full organism, but it did work. Wow. And so now what we have is a paint that can be coated on all that surface area that I was talking about. We can pick a lot of surface area And it will actually capture carbon dioxide and fix it in the paint for a certain amount of time. And then we can do different things to permanently sequester it. Wow. (laughs) That is is amazing. That's incredible. I'm wondering, does it survive all the different types of applications and molecule sizes and all the different, I know things get sprayed on sometimes, they get rolled onto things sometimes, electrostatically applied in different ways and all these different things. Does it survive all these different types of applications? Well, clearly, Jared, you know more than the average bear about paints, okay? Because that's <laughs> impressive that you would even think about that. Um, <laughs> all right. And so, yes, there's all different coatings application techniques. Mm-hmm. And what I need to do is open your mind about coatings a little bit. Yeah. So a coating is something 
basically that can be painted on something that adheres well to a surface that's lightweight Mm -hmm. and can go vertical. Okay. Because you see paint at the top of a skyscraper, right? It doesn't fall off. Okay. Right. And so we're used to a certain kind of paint that you put on your wall that you buy at Lowe's or whatever. And we eventually will have this coating in that kind of form in an architectural coating, for instance. Right. It's not our highest and best use. What we've devised first, what we've innovated first is a coating made of all natural ingredients. In fact, they're things you can eat Wow! because these algae, they get their nutrients actually from the coating itself. And so like some of the ingredients in this particular coating that we've developed, carbon capture coatings, are things that you would buy off the shelf at the grocery store. Okay. You might've eaten them in your muffin today. Seriously. <laughs> Unbelievable. Things like xanthan gum that oh, wow. absorb water and stuff like that yeah. and make things moist. Yeah. And so this coating is not what you would put on your walls. It's a coating that is more kind of like a jello. Now it does have those qualities though. It does have the qualities of being lightweight and adhering well to surfaces. So it does, right. it's a paint in that way. But what we've devised has to do with the urgency of the situation. So climate change, you know, we're in an urgent situation to have these carbon removal technologies to help pull down enough CO2 that we don't go over a tipping point or a million of those. And so it's a carbon removal technology and it's meant to be like we want to create a whole bunch of surface area to put the photosynthesis to work as much as possible. So. The highest and best use for this coating is not necessarily to have an application on the outside of the building. Okay. Mm -hmm. We will get there and we'll develop that paint. Sure. But this paint was made first to be in modules. So we've developed a system that you would have, imagine a one meter cubed, we call them totes, but they're called international bolt containers. You see them at ports and stuff like that. You see them, they're just plastic one meter cube Mm -hmm. and they have like a steel casing for them so you can stack them. Right. So that's what we've been using in the lab. And so you got a one meter cube. It takes one meter squared on the ground Mm -hmm. and you have a one meter cube terrarium, so to speak. So we use these things because we can control the environment a lot more. And then we can also densify the amount of coating that is in there. So Uh... instead of just having one layer, we've gotten up to 20 meters squared per meter cubed. Wow. Within a meter cubed, we can have 20 meters squared of surface. So that's what we're trying to do is because of the urgency and just the breadth of the problem, we're trying to densify as much as possible surface area and then like stack those suckers up on top of each other and get as much photosynthesis going on as possible. Mm. So imagine a facility of these things just stacked up or even like you see a wind farm or something like that. Eventually, we might have these because we have a module that works just solely on solar. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a location agnostic facility. You could put it in the middle. It doesn't take good ground or anything like that. You could put it in the middle of the desert and it'll use solar power and do that. Or you could put it up next to an industrial emitter and pipe in that CO2. It will work that way too, even better because algae loves CO2. Ah, So they work faster and more efficient if we do that. So you could put it directly in the sort of exhaust. Mm -hmm. CO2 being created or expelled from a process, you could put it in that process of kind of scrubbing and recapturing. Yeah, just pipe it in. Yeah, 
kind of like a chimney scrubber kind of thing. Uh huh. Mm. It's a different embodiment. Right. So in the climate change world, you look at negative or net zero. This would be a net zero thing. They're emitting one ton, we're capturing one ton. Oh, wow. Spread out in a desert, just modules are just capturing CO2. That's net negative. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's not as a result of someone emitting. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. This is fascinating. I have a billion questions pinging around in my head. I, this sounds like science fiction. It's really cool, which is what <laughs> cutting edge innovation sounds like. It really is exciting to hear that this kind of technology is in development and the sort of phased approach you're taking around the different applications and moving through that process, I think is great because it'll help build confidence and demonstrate proof of concept before you go into the more architectural media and things like that. So I really love the technology and I love the process you're using for bringing it to life. Really fantastic. Thank you. I'll add one thing to that for your listeners because they might be wondering this. Another benefit to putting this carbon capture coding system in modules is that we can measure molecule for molecule, how much CO2 is being pulled down and captured, how much oxygen is there. We have monitors that monitors all of the gas exchange. And so we know what we're getting. Right. Whereas natural systems, for instance, mangrove forests and just forests and stuff like that. Yeah, they're capturing, but they're also re-emitting and you're just not quite sure how much because it's out there in the open. So many variables in that equation you can't control. Exactly. So being able to measure the in and out in a discrete closed system that, yeah, you're right. That's a huge benefit because you know what this coding is doing. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. It's been an amazing conversation, and I'm not going to ask the million questions that I have. Ask anything you want. But um, I, <laughs> I would love to hear if you have any advice for innovators or people who might want to get into biotech or might want to get into IP law or anything like that, get into this space that you all occupy. Any advice for innovators out there? Yeah, I think like we talked about, innovation It needs to be inspired. I mean, look at the world in a different way and don't be afraid if you see a solution that's outside the scope of what's been developed before. That's what makes you an innovator. And it's going to be your problem too, okay, (laughs) to deal with. There's It's a double-edged sword, okay? Pioneers get arrows in the back. So that's true too. So you got to have the belly for it. Mm. But for instance, 20 years ago, we started putting these biomolecules into paints and coatings. And what your listeners wouldn't be aware of necessarily is that It was a complete paradigm shift to what had been done in the paint and coatings industry because in the paint and coatings industry, they've always tried to keep living things out of paint because they degrade the paint. Right, right. Okay. And so, yeah, they want to keep the algae out of it. They want to keep all that stuff out of it because it's microbes to them. And so, you know, it makes their paint go bad. Hmm. And so we had to turn that on our head. Now, it took a long time to get through to the industry that this is a good way, even a better way of doing it. And they still have trouble accepting it. Right. I bet. Because they're just old and they're just commoditized industry and they just want to do the same things that they're on an inertia and they just want to do the same thing. So you kind of have to blast them. One thing we were never afraid of is publishing and comparing Mm. and it's scientific. So it's just kind of factual and you just don't be afraid to get it out there and kind of be in their face with what you've done. And then at least they have a choice to make. Other things, like I said, you got to have the belly for it. You got to be able to get kicked in the head 
and just not let it keep you down. <laughs> right. No, it's, it's real. That's very real and, and true for sure. And I think the thing that's kept us on that trajectory has been passion. Mm. About each and every technology we've developed, we've seen the need there. We're passionate about fulfilling that need and getting it out there. I mean, let your passion drive you and then find a way to finance it. Mm. It's always going to be kind of difficult, but you'll hit a home run every once in a while and hopefully you get a grand slam. I love it. Such great advice leading with your passion and figuring out the financing along the way. It, it feels risky. Oh, it's totally. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to have the stomach for it and you have to be willing to kind of put yourself out there, like you said, with publishing and in all sorts of ways, just kind of being willing to expose yourself to the world and the different opinions and perspectives that your innovation might generate for better or worse, because you can't control that part. Right. And don't fall into the commoditization. Oh, well, this has to be 10 cents less than what we were currently selling and all that. Sometimes the value of what you're selling is far more than that. So you kind of have to stand behind it too. You have to know the value of what you created. Mm, well said. Well said. Beth, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I've learned a lot. I've got a lot of Googling and reading to do to learn more about this technology and all those things. I'm so appreciative of you sharing your time and your expertise with us today. It's been a pleasure, Jared. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC, O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C, or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means. <laughs>